was several years ago, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends in the whole world, called me. And he told me about a trip that he had just returned from. He had the opportunity to go to a, a country that was closed to missionaries, closed to the gospel, closed to the word of God. That country will remain unnamed this morning. But my friend boarded a plane, and before he boarded the plane, he did something very interesting. I think you'll be impressed with it. He, he hid more than two dozen New Testaments in his suitcase, and he smuggled these Bibles into this country so that people would have the Word of God in their heart language. And the reason I share that story with you is... That as we open our Bibles this morning, I want you to remember about this treasure that you have on your lap today. Or you perhaps have on your device or your phone today. We are able to read the Word of God without fear and without persecution, at least at this point. What a, pre- what a precious privilege that is. Amen? So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. The title of the message is Building a Maturing Church, Part 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now most children understand the purpose of training wheels. How many of you ever had a chance to learn how to ride a bike with the aid of training wheels? Come on, you, you use the training wheels. Let's look at that picture. You grew up and your, your mother or your father uh, put some training wheels on your bike. And the purpose of those training wheels was obviously to, to put you in a position where you would better understand how to ride this bicycle. Now, most of you realize, and I think most of you are there at this point, you realize that the training wheels only last for a short period of time. At least that's how it's supposed to work. It's only supposed to last for a period of of days or weeks or maybe even months. And then there comes the day when your mother or your father or someone that's helping you learn how to ride a bicycle, they say the training wheels must come off. That's the special day. Well, the same holds true for you and I in the Christian life. There comes a point in our Christian journey when the training wheels need to come off. Last week we learned that a maturing church does not happen by accident. We learned that a maturing church takes time. And that over the course of that time, we realize that it is God himself who is at the center, the very center of that building process, of that training process. I want to have you stand to your feet as we read this passage once again, beginning in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4. And remind you that this is God's authoritative, infallible word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we re-examine this very important passage, I pray that we would be in a position where The training wheels would come off where we would uh, be better equipped to serve in this local church and better equipped to serve in the community in which you have placed us. Father, may your spirit be our teacher today. Would you help us to understand these very important lessons that emerge in this passage? God, I pray that your people would be built up, as this passage suggests, that they would be further equipped in the Christian faith, and that this would be a profitable time for the people of God to sit under the teaching ministry of the Word of God. We give you the glory in advance. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Last week we learned two lessons, and that is that God gives the church, He gives as a gift to the church, two very important things. First we saw in verses 7 and 8 that He gives grace to the church, and we drew out some important lessons from that. He gives grace to the church, and then in verse 11 we learned that He gives spiritual leadership to the church. And better put, He gifts spiritual leadership to the church. We said it like this, God blesses the church with grace and spiritual leadership for this purpose, so that the church of Jesus Christ might grow in maturity. And we concluded last week by focusing our attention on the shepherds and teachers in verse 11. And you remember that we examined three very foundational terms. We looked at the term shepherds, which is really a a pastor or a teacher, one who shepherds the flock of God. Then we looked at the term overseer, which is a church leader who is charged with taking care of the people of God. And then finally, we looked at the word elder, which comes from the Greek word presbyteros. And we learned that the important takeaway is that these three terms, shepherd, overseer, and elder, are all synonymous. The shepherd, the overseer, and the elder all refer to the same office in the local church. That is to say, a shepherd is an overseer, is an elder, is a pastor. And to make it very plain and not to sound too redundant, please understand that the the nine elders, in addition to myself at Christ Fellowship, are indeed all pastors. This morning, I want to have you take a look with me at four vitally important aspects of this office. As we examine these shepherds and teachers, if you look at verse 11, we want to look at these shepherds and teachers and ask, what are the different components that we need to understand about these shepherds and teachers? And so, verse 11 Paul the Apostle refers to these shepherds and teachers. I want you to see with me the first aspect. And that is the requirements of this office. Now, as we look at the requirements, and if you were uh, a part of the class this morning, this would be a brief review and an overview for you. We realize, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and once again, this is something that, that surfaced in class this morning, and it, and it really stuck out like, a, like a, a sore thumb, if you will. It became very apparent that there's something important taking place here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, or pastor, all synonymous terms, he desires a noble task. And that's what I want you to see. That for the the man who desires this office, he desires a noble task. That word noble comes from a Greek word that means beautiful. Now, if you have ever served as an elder or know a a, a gentleman who has served as an elder, you would freely admit that sometimes it's not very pretty. Sometimes it seems like serving, serving as an elder in the local church is not beautiful at all. But we realize that there are painful seasons in the life of a church. There are uncomfortable seasons in the life of a church. But the bottom line is we remember that for the man who aspires this office, the office of overseer, of of being a shepherd, of being a teacher, this is a a beautiful thing. This is a, a noble task. The word also means very, very important. One of the Puritan writers, Charles Bridges, addresses the importance of the office of elder. He says this, With all my discouragements and sinful despondency, in my better moments, I can think of no other work worth doing compared with this. Speaking of the office of elder. He said, Had I a thousand lives to live, I would willingly spend them in it. 
And had I as many sons, I would gladly devote them to it. But I must also tell you that there is a weightiness to this office of an elder. There is a a heaviness to this calling to the office of an elder. This is an exceedingly high calling. It is a calling that elders dare not take lightly. Now, please don't misunderstand. When I say it's an exceedingly high calling, I want you to remember from the words of one author who published a book on leadership many years ago, referred to the office as this, descending into greatness. That is, a a biblical elder is descending A biblical elder is one who is lowly, a one who is humble, one who does not wield his autocratic authority. That's not serving as an uh, uh, as a biblical elder. That's serving as a as a carnal individual. And so this is an important calling, one that we dare not take lightly and one that the church family dare not take lightly. The qualifications, the requirements of an elder are set forth in three important passages. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Peter chapter 5 all refer to these very important qualifications for this office. Now, as I mentioned in class this morning, it was roughly four or five years ago that we did a study on biblical elders and deacons. And I took the time over the course of three weeks to examine with meticulous detail all of the qualifications in these three passages. And so we are going to bypass those this morning, but it does not mean it's unimportant. It is vitally important. And so I would commend 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5 to you for further study study on your own. But here's where I want to focus this morning. I want to move from the requirements of the office of elder and focus a majority of our attention on the responsibilities of this office. And once again, as we look at verse 11, we are going to, we are going to look at what it means to be a shepherd and a teacher with a fine tooth comb. There are three vitally important responsibilities for every elder, for every pastor and teacher. And the first is this, is that he must feed the flock. He must feed the flock. Elders, if you can think of it this way, and those of you, how many of you like food? Like, if you're not raising your hand, how, how dare you, right? We all love food. Yeah, someone went like this. I love it. You get A+. Plus. Nice job, Caleb. Elders are the spiritual chefs in the local church. They are the, the, the men who prepare these, these massive feasts for the people of God. Kyle mentioned earlier today about the, the challenge that I gave you the first week in January to write down something you're thankful for. Is anyone still doing that? Ah, I see one, only one, a two, three. I'm just going to continue to to hound you and debug you. If you haven't started, start today and then go all the way to the end of the year. I'll tell you what I'm thankful for today. Are you ready? I'm thankful for a hungry flock. As I look out on the sea of faces, you might not all be hungry. In fact, I would be willing to guess that you're not all hungry, but the vast majority of you are hungry for a meal from the Word of God. So it's my responsibility, it's the responsibility of the other elders elders at Christ Fellowship to be like spiritual chefs and prepare meals that you can feast upon. Now, unlike a, a physical chef who has all kinds of things to choose from, one of the things that my family enjoys, and mostly Jorena and Nathan, who are homesick today, is they, and they've kind of roped me into it along the way, love to watch these cooking shows. Any of you watch those? Like, like Chopped and all those crazy shows where they, I mean, they're brutal to each other. Your pudding was way too firm. Your put, it's like, my word, give the poor girl a break. She made a cup of pudding. Well, unlike those physical chefs who have all these different things to work with and to feast upon the spiritual chef really only has one course and it's right here it's the only thing we serve and if you ever find a an elder or a pastor who wants you to serve anything other than the word of god 
Find another pastor or elder. Because we want to feast from the word of God. We prepare meals for the people of God that contain one primary ingredient, that is sacred scripture. That is not to suggest, by the way, that it is improper to use commentaries. That is improper to use a, a systematic theology. That's improper to use a, a book on church history or biblical theology. Those are all supplements that focus our attention on the truth of God's word. And so the elder is faced with this task. Feed the flock. I want you to see three functions of these spiritual chefs. And I want you to hold your finger, if you would, in Ephesians 4 and turn to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, I, I want you to see these three functions of what we're fer- referring to as the spiritual chefs. And look, first of all, with me at verse 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Now, the book of Acts, of course, is written by a physician. It's written by Dr. Luke. But here in Acts chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 17, we see Luke referring to the Apostle Paul. Notice with me, verse 17. From Miletus, he, or Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Notice verse 20. How I did not shrink. Do you love that? From declaring to you anything that was possible. As we consider these spiritual chefs who are charged with feeding the flock, I want you to see that the first function of these spiritual chefs is found here in verse 20. It's what I refer to as bold proclamation. You see, the spiritual chef is, is not to equivocate. The spiritual chef is, is to never, never compromise. The spiritual chef should never backpedal. The spiritual chef should never apologize for preaching or teaching God's word. Rather, he is to declare it boldly. That word that is used in verse 20, declaration, it's a word that comes from a Greek word that means to make something known. But the better definition is this. To declare something is to announce it. And that is the wrong way to talk about announcing something. It goes like this. We're going to announce the truth. Good morning. For those of you who are drifting off, is the, the, the preacher, the, the herald of God's word, announces the truth of God's word. My late Aunt Betty worked as one of the executive assistants at a missions organization in Quito, Ecuador, that we know as HCJB. HCJB stands for Heralding Heralding, heralding, heralding Christ Jesus' blessings. That's a, that's a great tagline. And so the spiritual chef is called to announce the truth of God's word. This bold declaration must, it must be unwavering. It must be unflinching. It must be fearless. And notice in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, that this bold declaration has, and I can't overemphasize this enough, it has content. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I talked to a dear friend just last night. I said, how are you doing? How's your family? How's your church? What's going on? He said, he said, Dave, church is getting weird. I said, why is it getting weird? He says, we went to church. I don't know when it was in recent days. He said, we got to church, 11 o'clock, the pastor stood in the pulpit. He said, my friends, today, God doesn't really have anything for you. You're dismissed. See, Acts chapter 20, verse 20 says that bold declaration has content. It, It does not mean that we send the congregation home. It has content. 
Paul says anything that was profitable, that is advantageous or beneficial. Would you do, do this for me? Would you hold, hold your Bible somewhere? Hold your tablet. This is weird, this culture that we live in, right? Hold up your phone, right? What is it that you have before you this morning? Exactly what is advantageous or beneficial? What is profitable? Here's Paul's answer. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Look also in Acts 20 at verse 27. I want you to see that this bold declaration is comprehensive. It not only has content, but it's comprehensive. Verse 27, Paul says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you one-third of the Bible. Are you with me? Someone yell out, Heretic! <laughs> Thank you. I did not shrink from declaring you the parts that I liked. Thank you. I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Bold declaration is comprehensive. And so what that means for someone like me and every other elder who preaches means... That when you run across a difficult doctrine, like the doctrine of hell, or the doctrine of predestination and election, or the doctrine of, of last things, or the doctrine of personal judgment, or the doctrine of accountability, what do we do? We preach it. We preach it boldly and unapologetically. Elders are committed to declaring the timeless truths of sacred scripture. They realize the supreme value of God's word and they wield the mighty sword to the glory of God. So here is the first thing we must realize. Elders declare the word of God boldly. Go back with me, if you will, to Acts twenty twenty. The second aspect of feeding the flock is faithful teaching or faithful instruction. Acts twenty twenty. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. This is the word from the Greek word didasko. It means to, to teach or to provide instruction. And Paul models for us the pattern for faithful teaching. He says it's from house to house. It's wherever he has the opportunity, he preaches the word of God. Go over with me to Colossians chapter 1. And there are actually two ways that you could look at the scripture. One is you could look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, or you could walk out to the front entryway. Do we call that the narthex? I have no idea what that means. But you go out to the entryway and you will see a verse plastered on the wall. It's very beautiful. And it says this. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone... And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is a teaching ministry that should be systematic. This teaching ministry should be serious. This teaching ministry should be challenging. It should be edifying. It should be encouraging. It should be convicting. But at the very end of it, this teaching ministry should lead to Christian growth. Colossians 1.28 says it's for this purpose that the, that the Christian, that the Christ follower might be mature. So the spiritual chef feeds the flock. He boldly declares the truth. He faithfully teaches the truth. But he also involves in this activity. It's what I like to call tenacious testifying. Tenacious testifying. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. You see this progression of thought now, this bold declaration, this public teaching from house to house. In verse 21, he says, Also testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Over to verse 24. He continues. He says, but I do not account my life for any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That word translated in your English Bible as testify comes from the Greek word. It's where we get the word martyr. It means to to bear witness. It means to assert or to declare something. It means to state with emphasis something that is vitally important. And Paul actually tells us what that is. He says it's repentance toward God. It is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, and I say this humbly, that there are churches all around the world, but especially in America, where repentance is no longer a part of the morning message. There are some, even conservative theologians and pastors, who who will say this, that to add repentance to the gospel message is a false addition to the gospel message. Listen, repentance is at the very center of the gospel message. Paul tells us as much in Acts chapter 20. And so elders are called to testify, to be witnesses about the most important message in the universe, which is the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this first responsibility for the elder, for the the pastor teacher is very clear. He is charged to feed the flock, which involves these three things, bold declaration, faithful teaching, and tenacious testifying. There's a second responsibility if you would turn to Acts 20, verse 28. The second responsibility is that these elders not only feed the flock, but they lead the flock. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. That's the word that means elder or pastor. Two, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Some of you are familiar with the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Albert Muller. And I have said more times than I can imagine, I am so glad that Dr. Muller is on our team. He has a razor-sharp mind. He has a heart that beats for God's Word. And he's leading, in my estimation, the best seminary in America, if not all the world. Dr. Moeller says this. He says, The church desperately needs leaders. Congregations need effective leaders who are authentically Christian whose leadership flows out of their Christian commitment. Wherever Christian leaders serve, their leadership should be driven by distinctively Christian conviction. And so I would draw your attention to verse 28 in Acts chapter 20 so that you will notice two very important things. Notice that Paul says to the elders, pay attention to yourselves. This is something that may get overlooked, but it's vitally important. They're to pay attention to themselves. The word means this, to, to watch out. It means to be on the alert. It means to, to look out, to be on guard. It means to be aware. Now, we live in a culture now where most people have cell phones, and many people are gazing at their phones when they're driving down the road. And so we have this huge campaign now to, to make a vow to never text and drive at the same time. How many of you would say that's an important campaign? It's an important campaign. It's, it's a biggie. But something is even bigger than texting and driving. We must not only be alert at the wheel. Elders are charged with being alert as they care for the flocks in the New Testament church. The word to pay careful attention to is actually a a word that was used on the open seas. That's a nautical term. It means to guide a ship in a particular direction. It means to hold the course of that ship. And so Paul's reason here is plain. If an elder, if an overseer, if a pastor is to be effective in carrying out his responsibilities to lead the flock, he must first pay careful attention to whom? To himself. Now, I think that, isn't that weird? Because you would think that an elder is charged with taking care of the needs of the body to pay careful attention to the body. We will get there in a moment. But Paul says this, if you're to be an effective elder, a biblical elder, pay close attention to yourself. What does that mean? It means that the elder guards his relationships. The elder pays close attention to his marriage if he is married. 
That the elder pays close attention to his children. I have a dear friend who is actually a family member. I have a cousin who served as an elder for many years. He was a pastor in several churches. And he decided one day that enough's enough. And he left his wife and he left his children. And he cast them aside. What's happening? He chose to not pay careful attention to himself. He chose to not guard his relationships. Additionally, to pay careful attention to ourselves means to guard our character. We guard our character. We guard the inner man. I I just want to read a a scripture that has been deeply meaningful to me over the years. As King David marked out these words in Psalm chapter 51, verse 6, he says it like this. Behold, you delight in truth in the inner man. You delight in truth in the inner man, which means we we are to guard our, our interior lives. We are to guard our mouths. We are to guard our doctrine. We are to guard our walks with God. That's first and vitally important as the shepherd leads his flock. But we not only pay careful attention to ourselves, look again, again at verse 28. And it's all linked to the first two words. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. What does that look like? Shepherds lead the flock by their example. So says First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. One pastor, a veteran pastor, says that, quote, this is the most important leadership function that an elder exhibits. Namely, he is an example to the flock. When the elder pays careful attention to the flock, it means that he leads the flock by discipling them, by meeting together with other people in the church family and discipling them. He also counsels them. He disciplines them. He loves them with the love of the Lord. The biblical pastor, the biblical overseer, the biblical teacher feeds the flock. He leads the flock. And third, I want you to see that he is charged with protecting the flock. And in a sober, sober section of Scripture, also in Acts 20, look at verse 29. Paul continues, I know that after my departure, that is when he leaves this particular church, fierce wolves will come in among you. May I stop there and remind you that the wolves are at the gate? The wolves are at the gate ready to devour your children. A few days ago, someone knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and there were three wolves standing there in suits. It was very interesting. Each one had a badge that said, Elder so-and-so. They look good. They smell good. They talk the talk. They even had their King James Version of the Bible. But the Word of God identified these three Young men as wolves. There are wolves at the gate. Paul says, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. Why is that? Because that's what wolves do. They eat. They pillage. They they devastate. They devour. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. We live in a day of unprecedented godlessness. And so shepherds are charged to be alert. They're charged with watching over the flock. They're charged with protecting the flock. Why? Because wolves are left At the gate, if they are left unchecked, they will ravage the sheep. They will devastate the sheep. They will intimidate the sheep. I remember I had a a friend of mine who went to one of these so-called churches that were run by theological wolves. And he told me that he felt so, so strange because the leader of this church stood on a platform like this. And my friend was down below like this. And the... The so-called leader was giving instruction and and teaching down at him. And I I encouraged my friend. I said, 
you're to be commended for reaching out to this person. But I said, my encouragement to you is that you never place yourself in a position where you were the one being instructed by someone who is a, a theological wolf, someone who de- desires to, to ravage you, to, 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 to destroy your life. Shepherds, verse 31 tells us, are to protect the sheep by standing guard. The word there means to be vigilant. It means to stay awake. It means to not fall asleep at the wheel. And so there's some practical tips for protecting the flock. It's what I call a ministry of admonishment. Would you turn back with me once again to Colossians chapter 1? And some of you may wonder how the verse was selected that is in our entryway from Colossians chapter 1. I I think it's a vitally important verse. I think it's a verse that is really at the center of, of who we are as a church family. I want to read it again for you. Again, him we proclaim. And if you like to mark your Bible up, let me encourage you to mark the word warning. Warning everyone. And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The reason I refer to this as a ministry of admonishment is the word warning comes from a Greek word that means to instruct or to warn. So admonishing in scripture has the connotation of confronting with the intent of changing a person's attitudes and actions. And so what does the biblical elder do? He, he warns people about the, the path of sin that they're on. Proverbs chapter 4 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Some of you have had the occasion where you were on a wicked path, and you had an elder or another Christian come into your life and say, Warning. You are on a wicked path, and that might have stung. It might have offended you, but the elder or the, the pastor or the teacher who instructed you did so for this reason. It was for your spiritual benefit and for your good. And so we warn people to, to flee from idolatry. I love that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's addressed to young people. It says to young people, flee from idolatry has this idea that, that you look at something, you hear about something that is carnal or unbiblical or ungodly, you flee from it. You run from it. You remember the example of Joseph who, who ran away from the woman who tried to seduce him. We warn people about the end result of unbelief. Hebrews 3 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that does what? It turns away from the living God. John MacArthur adds, If there is sin in the life of a believer, others have the responsibility to lovingly, gently admonish them to forsake that sin. I want to ask as your pastor, if you have ever known someone that was living in known sin, and you had the following thought pop into your mind before you went to admonish them, who am I to admonish them? I'm a sinner just like them. And it may be true, and it is true, that you're a sinner just like them, but the Word of God instructs us to admonish those who are on a wicked path. Young people, I'm speaking of the first two rows, and anyone else who considers themselves young? That's not many of us. Your your first line of defense is the Word of God and mom and dad. Your first line of defense is the word of God and mom and dad. So the same principles that we have been talking about today apply to to you and your parents as well. It goes something like this. It is your parents' job, and especially it is your father's job, to identify wolves in your life. Like elders, your parents protect you by standing ground. And by standing guard, when they see danger on the horizon, they warn you. It goes something like this, son, daughter. It says that person you're spending time with, they're bad news. And I want to warn you. When your parents warn you that a a certain college or a certain 
entertainment establishment or a certain movie or a certain hobby or a certain person may be dangerous to your spiritual health, your response is, yes, mom. Yes, dad. Why? Because mom and dad have your best spiritual interests in mind. As I was writing this sermon, as I thought about the young people at Christ Fellowship, and I know it sounds like I'm really coming down on it's not it's because I, I care about you and i love you is my heart is that 100 percent of the young people at christ fellowship when mom and dad say don't go that direction that 100 percent of you would say yes sir yes ma'am i obey and all of the rest of the people of god are saying amen to that and i will tell you Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, right? The principle in Ephesians chapter 6 is that when young people obey their parents, the word of God says you will experience an extension of days. You will be blessed. It's one, one writer refers to as the umbrella of blessing. You place yourself under the umbrella of blessing and guess what happens? All the parents are going, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. We've touched on the requirements of this office and really spent the majority of our time on it. We've seen the responsibilities. In addition to the requirements, I want you to look also at the roles of this office. And it's really only one role in this context. And I want you to go back with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 12. These shepherds and teachers are called to do one specific thing in terms of a role, and that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It comes from the word that means to prepare, to to train, to fully qualify. And the thought crossed my mind, what does that look like? What does it mean for for the elders, the overseers, for the the pastors to equip the saints for for the work of the ministry? And I want to have you turn with me to 1 Timothy, or rather 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll get really a, a thumbnail sketch or what I like to call a template of what it means for the the shepherds of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul the Apostle says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to look at this diagram on, on the PowerPoint and have you see that this process begins with a godly man. It begins with a man who is qualified to serve as an elder. And Paul instructs Timothy here to, to be strengthened, a word that means to be rendered capable of performing a specific task. And so what is the prescription for being strengthened? The answer Paul gives, the grace of God and what he has already heard. From that teacher. In other words, Paul poured his life into the people of God. Most notably, he poured his life into Timothy. But he doesn't stop there. This spiritually strengthened young man now is to reproduce what Paul has instilled in his life. And so several years ago, I got in the habit of doing this. In discipling relationships that I have, I would sit down with an individual. And we would agree on the terms of the discipleship. We're going to meet for six months. We're going to meet for 12 months or 18 months. But when that relationship is complete in terms of the formal discipleship relationship, I challenge that gentleman to go and find someone else. And even better, to find two or three people and do the same thing with them. And we see that here. It begins with a godly man who grants spiritual strength and they grow together in the Lord. And then they entrust faithful men who have the ability to teach others. That word entrust means to put into the care or protection of someone else. That is, a spiritually strengthened man is to pour his life into other men who are able to teach others. And then what do you do? Rinse and repeat. That's not really biblical, is it? But you get the idea. Is you pour yourself into another person, 
And then you repeat that process, and the discipleship process works over time. And so equipping the saints for the work of the ministry involves time, it involves effort, it involves teaching. As I was looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, I got to thinking about two individuals in my life who had done that for me. The first individual that did that for me was, was my dad and also my mom. They would pour their lives into me. They would teach me about the Christian life. They would help me understand Scripture. I would be challenged. I would be stretched. And then my parents would teach me more and more and more. Then I became an adult. went to college and seminary. We received our, our call to our second church in Legrand at First Baptist Church. And Wayne Pickens is another man who I just wrote a letter to a few days ago to thank him for the influence in my life. He took me under his wing. He helped me cultivate gifts. He also helped shave off some rough edges in my life. And both my dad and my mom and Wayne have left a permanent impression, a permanent mark on my life and my ministry that will be with me for the rest of my days. Over the last several years, I've met with some of you, and sometimes you'll have a difficult question or face with a difficult challenge, or someone will have a criticism. And I'll generally think, what would my dad say? Or what would Wayne Pickens say? That's the mark of someone who's been discipled by another godly man. So my question this morning by way of practical application is, who are you influencing? And also, who is influencing you? Who are you influencing and who is influencing you? There's a final thing I want you to see that occurs also in verse 12. We've seen that pastors and shepherds equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But look finally at the results. The results. And the results are very clear. They're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry for a purpose, for building up the body of Christ. That word built up means to, to edify or to strengthen. And that word strengthen should have specific meaning for you because we just looked at that in Second Timothy chapter 2. A built-up body, you see, is a strong family of believers. A built-up body is an encouraged church. A built-up body is ministry-minded. A built-up body is obedient. A built-up body is grounded in the gospel. A built-up body is eager to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's been an interesting week for the Seattle Seahawks. You say, what does that have to do with equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? Shaquem Griffin, many of you probably saw the call that he received from John Schneider and his new coach, Pete Carroll. So here is this, this young man, fresh out of college, and he's invited to take his next assignment with the Seattle Seahawks, and he has suddenly become rich. And they show this young man on the phone, and John Snyder calls him up and tells him that he's a new member of the Seattle Seahawks. And he's filled with joy. He's in tears. And then John Snyder passes the phone to to Pete Carroll, and Pete Carroll says, I know you're going to play hard. Yes, sir, I'm going to play hard. I know you're going to give it your best effort. Yes, sir, I'm going to play hard. And the thought struck me, that is like the portrait of someone in the church that's being equipped When someone calls you and says, we're we're looking for a Bible study leader. We're looking for someone to be equipped in the Christian faith. We're looking for someone to help in women's ministries. We're looking for someone to help in youth ministry. The answer isn't, nah, I don't have time for that. The answer is, I'm ready. I'm ready. The only place where this analogy falls to pieces is you're not going to get rich doing it. But someone else will. Are you with me? Is you get to influence a young man or a young woman or a man or a woman, and you get to help disciple them in the Christian faith. You get to help to to challenge them, to encourage them, to equip them. And one of my passions at Christ Fellowship is that we would see the saints equipped for the work of the ministry. You know what that means? That means I don't do it all. That means the elders don't do it all. The elders equip the saints for the work of the ministry instead of doing all the ministry. Here's the truth point. Once again, God blesses the church with grace and spiritual leadership so that she might grow in maturity. The first step, the first step in the right direction is to believe the gospel. So I'll put it this way. 
There comes a time in your life when the training wheels must come off. For some of you, it looks like this. That means today you become a Christian. Where you learn that, that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He, he lived a perfect life. He was, he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And He went and He, he died a brutal death on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, God raised him from the dead, and he made his way to the Father. He was ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we hear these words from Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe in Jesus. Turn from your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the training wheels begin to come off where you move forward in the Christian life all to the glory of God. And so if you trusted Jesus this morning, are you moving in the direction of maturity? And for those of you who are longtime veterans of the Christian faith, are you making good use of the opportunities that are before you? There are ways to, to plug into Bible studies. There are ways to plug into discipleship. There are ways to, to plug in, to be involved in the, the fellowship here at this church family. And may I say, this is a great church family. Amen? Amen. What, what a great group of people. And so, as we move forward, may our hearts beat with a passion for this passage that we would grow in maturity all for the glory of God. And the more we grow, we begin to penetrate out into the community, reaching lost people for the glory of God, sharing the good message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a, a sharp challenge this morning, an encouraging challenge. We thank you for reminding us of uh, all the different aspects of what elders and overseers and pastors are called to do. And so, God, for those who are elders, uh, ten of them at Christ Fellowship, would you enable these men to, to feed the flock, to lead the flock, and to protect the flock, all for the glory of God. And for the church family, I pray that they would be responsive to that kind of ministry, that they would have a desire to be equipped so that the body of Christ might be built up. Oh, we thank you for, for your grand design, for the way that you have set up the church. And we look forward in the days ahead to, to growing as a church family, to growing deep, growing wide and reaching out more and more into this community and also all around the world. And so may we stand as, as your obedient children so that we would reach the world and make disciples, thus fulfilling the mission at Christ Fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.